The University of Louisville empowers students with over 50 fully online degrees and certificates in areas like business, public health, social work, engineering, and more. Flexible coursework allows time to focus on all of life's priorities. Learn more at louisville.edu slash online. From the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. And the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning. I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. How are things? Mostly good. Some, something else. (laughs) <laughs> that something else is the spice of life. Isn't That's it? right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's all good. I don't know. But is that true? I, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we've talked about that before. Be careful if you say, how are you? Because you might actually get an honest answer. Well, yeah, that's you right. better settle in. That's yeah. right. But no, things are, things are good. You know, on balance, no complaints. Yeah. You know, it is... It is uh, summer here in the northern hemisphere, and um, uh, I, you know, here in my uh, newly adopted uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky, um, people tell me all the time about how uh, Kentucky is just as hot as Florida, and I just smile and nod. (laughs) Yeah, I was talking to um, a colleague who's in Colorado, and he's from back east, and he went back east for vacation for his family. And I, know, I want to say it was somewhere in the Maryland, D.C. area, if I recall. I'm not sure. Like they rented a house or something. And he was like, I couldn't remember. I, I forgot how humid it was. And I'm like, humid? Okay. Yeah, more than Denver, I guess. But um, hold my beer. You know, <laughs> I live in Orlando. <laughs> Don't complain to me about humidity. You know, Tom, I find myself of an evening sitting out on the porch looking at the sunset, which sets after 9 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, I think to myself, it's a little warm out here. I would not be sitting outside if it were in Florida. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and you'd probably be slapping mosquitoes. And That's right. Chasing snakes and gators off the porch. <laughs> at least. Instead, I look at little woodland creatures go by, little bunny rabbits and birds and had a skunk go through the yard a couple weeks ago. Keep on going, skunk. And uh, <laughs> never had seen a skunk in the wild before. So Your life is like a Bambi movie. Is what it it is. Like. Yeah. Uh, one day, several months ago, three deer <laughs> running by. Well, we get those. I have those in my backyard. Yeah, there you That's go. Good. That's good. All right. But enough of this chit-chat. You know, <laughs> I imagine while you're sitting out on the porch, staring uh-huh. at all the woodland creatures, uh-huh. you probably are sipping on a beverage of... One mm-hmm. sort or another. One sort if or I another. know you, it's probably brown and hot. Yeah, in the, in the morning hours, it certainly, it certainly is. Many a morning over some coffee. And, and this afternoon, I have some coffee as well in my classic Doctor Who mug here. <laughs> and uh, you might be wondering what I'm drinking, and I'll be happy to tell you that this is a single-origin Honduran called Lenore's Light Roast from Pike House Coffee in Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, And I was fascinated. Some family members sent me this um, who live in Johnson City. And I looked up the coffee place and I was fascinated. They have a distinct emphasis and theming around Poe, Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, we're reminded on their website that Poe once noted, there is no exquisite beauty without some strangeness in the proportion. 
And so then the cafe owners slash roasters say, at Pike House, we have often felt a little odd and out of place. Have you ever walked into a coffee shop, school, store, or any other public place and felt like you didn't fit in? We often feel this way in the world of coffee. We were not included in the coffee snob arena. We welcome everyone here, regardless of their love or knowledge of coffee. I thought, well, that was a very inclusive message, albeit yeah. very gothic and darkly uh, framed, but, but yeah. it, was, it was interesting. interesting. The coffee's good. Can you find a ghost of a connection in <laughs> a wisp a specter of a connection <laughs> That's right. yeah uh, I'm I gotta say I'm struggling on the connection a little bit um, I have been to Edgar Allan Poe's grave in Baltimore Ooh, that's got to be a creepy yeah, place. Yeah, I've mentioned my my hobby of mystery writing. I got nominated yeah. for a Seamus Award one year, many years ago, and the, the award ceremony is at a venue that used to be a church where Poe is buried, uh, which was kind of kind of cool. I, I did not win, but it's nice to be nominated. But the connection, um, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe something about storytelling with Poe? Yeah, that works. And uh, and I said they had some uh, framing around, you know, kind of darkness and all. But I thought there was something there in that um, insider-outsider thing. You know, the, you know, when you're an insider, nobody has to really explain, nobody decodes for you or anything else. But, but when you're crossing those lines, you've got to, you run the risk of excluding people and not connecting if you're not going to kind of bridge the gap and 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 welcome people into your jargon and vocabulary. I get it now. That makes sense. Yeah, I should have known too, because I actually teach this stuff in my technical writing and professional writing classes about audience analysis and writing mm -hmm. for the right audience. Um, and this seems to fit right in with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> I get it now. You want to explain to the listening audience the the connection between your coffee and the topic of the day? Sure. Well, prompted somewhat, at least, by a promised follow-up to episode number 135, which was different institutions, different methods, same goals, and my relocation to a new institution, we thought we might revisit how we go about framing, talking about our work and our goals with different audiences, whether those are, you know, faculty, staff, students, academic leaders, boards of trustees, legislators, the public, etc. Now we've we've covered this in some ways at some times in the past and two I could think of Tom were our very first pilot episode number 1 what is online learning definitions boundary objects and baggage and uh, also um, early in our, our podcast time, I guess probably season two, uh, episode number 23, what is your elevator pitch talking to the public about online education, featuring that excerpt from your appearance on the Tavis Miley show. Uh, and I think we've talked about it here and there, but you know, there's something to this. How do you, how do you cross the, the line and, and invite, in a good way, and invite people over on your side, you know, into your little Poe-esque dungeon <laughs> drawing room. Or With my telltale heart beating behind the wall, <laughs> giving away all my all my secrets. Yeah, 
<laughs> How many Poe references are we going to work in? You know. Well, you know that that Haunted Mansion movie will be out by the time this episode releases. I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing that, and that'll yeah. be distinctly Poe-esque, I think, as well. See if there's any telltale hearts in that movie. <laughs> probably so. Some bright probably reasons, so. probably. That's yeah. right. All right. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, since it's it's very much based upon your experience mm-hmm. of of transition. Mm-hmm. And when, when we did that last episode, I want to say it was around March or somewhere in that timeline mm-hmm. that we recorded that, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still pretty early for you. And these were those were kind of early impressions, first impressions. Mm-hmm. You've had a little mm-hmm. more time in the chair now, mm-hmm. had the opportunity to talk to a lot more people mm-hmm. about, you know, the work that you do direct reports, peers, others on campus, and even kind of up at administration and and the, and the board. And, um, you know, maybe the first question would be kind of for you, how have you framed your conversations mm-hmm. to communicate what you need to to each of those very different audiences? Yeah, that's, that's, that's good, Tom. That's good questioning. Um, one, um, I'll give a little credit to uh, former U of L provost, now um, University of Ohio uh, president, uh, Lori Gonzalez. Um, early on here, I was, I even said, just just even talking broadly about kind of what we're aspiring to do. You know, like I said, that that seems like helpful to me. Like it would be important to, like I. I had been thinking about like building on a foundation that had already been laid, but you know, kind of taking it to the next level. And there's all kinds of metaphors, right, that you could use. But when you invoke those metaphors, you could have unintended negative consequences, you know. And I, I threw out a couple, you know. And uh, she said, "Well, you know, I like I like moving forward, moving forward. You know, we're moving. And it's hard to argue with moving forward. You want to move back? No, you want to move forward, and, and it's kind of the next thing, and turn the page, and and so that was helpful, um, a little bit, regardless of of who um, I was talking with, right? Whether that's teaching faculty or uh, team members here within this uh, teaching and learning center, um, or or other administrative leaders, and and so forth. So that was useful. It, then it's about well, what would that look like? You know, what would, what's the next desirable thing? You know, so then you got to kind of get on the same page trajectory-wise. And, you know, um, this is no surprise to you probably, but what I found is um, I would try to find common ground first, right, with what are we, tr- what are we here for? And I, I, <laughs> I found myself invoking Dale Whitaker's uh, very lovely line all the time of what much of what we aspire to in higher education is lifting lives and livelihoods, right? Lovely line. Um, I, you know, uh, <laughs> quote him and cite him uh, regularly because that, that's true. And so the, the, societable, the societal transformation potential of access to high quality uh, higher education, hard to argue with that. But then digital, learning, digital course design and teaching specifically as a lever, well, that might be a little unfamiliar to some or, you know, your results may have varied in the past to others. And so then, you know, I'm going to ask you to trust me a little bit on this and let's let's talk about what evidence we have that this might be the case, right? Um, so those are some helpful um, 
kinds of constructs. But yeah, I was actually, as you know, uh, asked to speak to the UFL Board of Trustees. Um, and I was surprised to hear that it was the first time anybody had ever addressed the board about online learning. And uh, I won't get into all the, the details, but um, suffice it to say that the framing of the request came with what I considered um, an honest, but a little bit naive framing. And I thought, hmm, okay, that tells me a little bit about how I need to approach this. There was a little bit of, well, the way I took the framing was it was it was a little bit like online wasn't that more of like a pandemic response mm. kind of a thing. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, well, okay, well that I know how I'm going to go in uh, on that thing. And so I mean, I could I could talk about that if you want to, but um, those are some those are some highlights uh, along uh, along the way. That's interesting, uh, given that that um, lens through which they were looking at this that it was informed by the pandemic experience mm -hmm. and, and you know, probably not unreasonably because, you know, for the board, they're, they're not academics mm -hmm. for the most part, um, mm -hmm. you know, might have a faculty or student mm -hmm. representative or something, but for the most part, they're business leaders, right? So mm -hmm. they don't necessarily get the weeds of what we do. And, and you and I, I would consider technical experts go in to talk to them. We can't, we can't jump right into like mm -hmm. the details. You mm -hmm. you gotta bring them along. But that's mm -hmm. helpful if you know what their frame of reference is, because yeah. you can start from there and say, all right, so here's how it's the same. Here's how it's different. And and usually there's some whenever I've spoken to our board or even the board of governors in Tallahassee, there's usually a specific question I'm being mm -hmm. asked mm -hmm. to address or mm -hmm. some issue or something. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to very quickly get to that. I, mm -hmm. I can't have too much preamble because those meetings are always too long anyway. And mm -hmm. there's always so much jammed in there. So, um, you know, framing the conversation to begin with what they know or don't know, I think, I think you're right. I think that's a very effective way to kind of get into it. Yeah. And, um, in my case, and, and you're right, the, the time thing, like even I was asked to you know, like prepare things as like a, in advance, you know, kind of, that's a kind of an expectation. And so um, I loaded up a, a lot of details, but then it was like, yeah, okay, less of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Not even just, you know, less in terms of what you're gonna present, but even less of the background information and stuff. So like, okay, take another pass at it. And, but I felt it was important to give kind of like two caveats before getting into the meat of it. And so I kind of framed up two slides of like, here's like a quick primer on online learning, you know, and it's things like, you know, this is kind of an asked and answered thing, you know, really the literature is clear. This is not, quality is not really a question, right? And it's not, and remote instruction, not the same, right? As, and, and things like that couple of little bullet points. And then also a word about today's college students, right? Today's college students are not the college students of 30, 40, 50 years ago, which, you know, depending on the age of board members, when you reach a, a level in your career, when you're invited to be a part of a board, you know, that could be a while ago. And, uh, you know, so the fact that today's college students have more life responsibilities on them. So, so slide, couple of bullets there. 
Nationally, we see that even here. More than half of our undergraduates at the University of Louisville work Yep. at some yep. level. You know the stats here. It's mm -hmm. more than half, I think. That's see. right. That's yeah. right. So then you can kind of frame, okay, now let's talk about online learning, which comes in like kind of two broad areas here at the University of Louisville. And so then we can unpack that a little bit. But like really quickly, like say a word, right. say a word, online learning. <laughs> right. It's almost like, you know, a, a stage. You're going to put on a play. You got to set the scene, mm -hmm. but just enough, right? It doesn't need to be super detailed, but it's just That's enough right. gray on the wall that, okay, I'm in a castle, right? Mm -hmm. I know I'm in a castle and I know I'm outside or I know I'm inside or whatever it is. It's just <laughs> enough to kind of set the scene. And so you can kind of get into what you need to, what you need to tell them. You know, it's funny too. I've, I've also, not so much like in a formal presentation where you're presented to the board, where actually I've had to have my slides approved and a former chief of staff of a former president, and you probably know exactly who I'm talking about, would, he would just cut slides. He would say, <laughs> nope, you're too long, Tom. And no, I, it wasn't just me he was doing it to. He did right. it to everybody. And his job was to protect that agenda. And it's mm -hmm. like, all right, make your point. But without mm -hmm. that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. It's just because it was too long. Everybody everybody looks at their moment to be in front of the board. as like, I, I don't yep. get in front of the board that often. So I'm going to yep. take my moment and say what I need to say. And I guess maybe I had a little bit of that too early on. But in other venues... I've tried to, I mean, obviously it depends on what the objective is of the discussion, but you were talking about access, essentially, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. access for certain populations, non-traditional students and, mm -hmm. you know, educating people that there are actually more of the non-traditional students out there than there are traditional. Mm -hmm. And most of our policymakers and board members mm -hmm. um, have been through a traditional educational yep. experience. Yep. So helping educate them on that, I think, is important. But sometimes I've leaned into not so much access, but like quality. Yep. And, That's right. um, you know, when we've got all kinds of data, as you know, uh, especially about blended learning yep. here, where the, the outcomes are better than face to face. That's right. And not everybody knows that. Right. Yep. So we, we need to kind of educate them on that. But it's not like I'm lying or leaving things out. It's like leaning into the things that, that are important to them in that context so that mm -hmm. so that you can help shape the narrative in a way that will be relevant and appealing to them. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right, and and that's where I went after after kind of laying that foundation a little bit too. You know the um, you know what I sometimes say to folks is the nature of today's college students online provides access, and since it provides access, you could really probably even forgive a little dip in quality. Right? I mean, you could probably give on quality to get access, probably. But you know what? We don't. <laughs> we yeah, don't give on quality. A, that's we a slippery slope. <laughs> we don't give on quality. We're, here's, here's what the data say. We're actually just as good as, maybe better than, right? And here's what the data say. So I, I think it's, um, though, to keep front and center, what are we trying to, what are we trying to do? That and um, the other thing that was it's been helpful since I got here is um, historically at this institution online, I might have mentioned this previously, online has quote unquote has really meant exclusively online programs. There are non-online program online course sections taught, but it's like, it's, it's not in the vernacular. We don't talk that way, right? Mm -hmm. And so as I've been surfacing data, I was able to finally get at, well, where are we, right? And um, 
You know, it's interesting, uh, course-taking behaviors. You know, I find course-taking behaviors fascinating, as I, I think you do as well. And uh, while undergraduates in exclusively online programs make up about 7% of the undergraduate population, any given semester, it's more than double that that are having exclusively online experiences. You know, it's more like 15 to 20% of undergraduates are having an exclusively online experience. And then about 45% of undergraduates, just to keep it simple, are, are having a combination of in-person and online. So it's only about 40% of undergraduates who are having an exclusively in-person experience. So that, that mixed, you know, taking a mixture of modalities group, that's larger, that's the largest proportion of undergraduates. So you can do the classic, okay, let's pull online away, because, you know, lest you think that it's some sort of a tangential aspect of the enterprise over here somewhere, affecting only a small, let's just take all that away. We're suddenly a much smaller institution with a much uh, less reach. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, that's been a big thing that I've talked about over the years. And, and one of the reasons why I've leaned into talking about student credit hours mm -hmm. as as a way to, to kind of cross-cut all of the different ways to count online students. Because, um, you know, you probably get this question. How many online students do mm -hmm. we have? That's right. Or do you have? And you're that's like, right. well, what do you mean? Do you mean mm -hmm. exclusively online students, online right. right now in this that's particular right. semester? That's right. Um, students who take one or more online classes? Mm -hmm. How about blended? Are you counting mm -hmm. blended? They, there, there are so many ways to slice and dice the answer to that question that it's almost obnoxious, right? But if you say, well, credit hours, which mm -hmm. and you could derive an FTE number from that if you need to, mm -hmm. um, but credit hours tells you a sense of the scope of the of the total, mm -hmm. and it also uh, gives you a sense of the revenue impact mm -hmm. because that has to do with tuition dollars, and in some states, not Florida, it's tied also to state appropriations, yeah. according to you know student headcount or mm -hmm. at least um, credit hours. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that is immediately uh, impactful, depending who you're talking to. If you, if you're talking about the the um, financial impact of of online enrollments, and even if you're not, you probably are or should be, right? I, I absolutely did that very thing, Tom. I took a page right out of your book. I, I could see you sitting right there in front of me, and um, <laughs> I, I put a slide together. It took me a little bit to surface the data, but you know, here's here's the semester credit hours, uh, online, in person, and look for a little bit of a pattern in recent semesters. You know, post height of the pandemic, uh, as the waters have receded a bit, and so like here online SCH is about a little more than a third of uh, at the undergraduate level uh, of the uh, total SCH. And then I could put a dollar figure on that, right? <laughs> Conservative, and I, and I did, here it is. Like if you just use the lesser amount you know, of in-state residential tuition, it's this much money. <laughs> yeah, yep. And so if we didn't have it, we wouldn't have that money. If we do have it, we do have that money. So that helps level set a little bit expectations. I think uh, that's something I learned from you that I think was really helpful in framing up for that kind of an audience. 
Yeah, well, I learned it from Joel Hartman. The best. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but there's also the question of, there's another dimension of access, too. I mean, you talked about uh, access for, for students who need the flexibility of online learning, and that's, that's important. But then there's also the, the access that is created that exceeds the physical infrastructure of the campus. Yep. Right, you know, we're almost 70,000 students. Mm -hmm. Campus cannot hold 70,000 students, mm -hmm. right? You know, like the infrastructure and the physical plant uh, are far less than that. Mm -hmm. So online learning has provided access to UCF education for a whole bunch of people beyond the limits of the, of the physical, you know, plant here. Yeah, another Hartman-esque bit of message framing. I remember the first time I ever saw Joel Hartman put that uh, on a slide, like, okay, here's an overview picture of the institution, and he had framed out, like, how much cost there is to running all that physical infrastructure, and, uh, and if we needed to build out that much more, it would be this many dollars, and yeah. we're avoiding that. By it was very interesting framing that I've, I've seen a lot of folks from a lot of institutions go, ding, you know, just a different way of thinking. Joel and I put together a, a, a two slides, two slides in a larger deck one time many years ago, that I think to this day still remains among the most impactful illustrations of kind of this point. Mm -hmm. So the first one was it was just just a big circle, and that represented the one and a half billion dollar budget of UCF. Mm -hmm. And then we had this, so that's like Jupiter, right? The size of <laughs> Jupiter or the sun. Mm -hmm. And then there was this tiny little circle right on the edge of distance learning fee collections. Mm -hmm. So at that time, I don't remember what it was, $9 million or something like mm -hmm. that. It's more now. But so it was just this tiny little thing next to a $1.5 billion. And so like, this is what we charge students to run our distance learning program. Mm -hmm flip to the next page and there was a big circle that showed the credit hours for the face-to-face -face credit hours for the university and then there was a circle about the third of that size overlapping that showed distance learning credit hours so with this little dot of investment we created mm -hmm. this much access mm -hmm. it was really stark and i mm -hmm. thought wow what a great way to illustrate the yeah, return yeah, yeah, yeah. on that yeah. investment yeah no, that's, that's really helpful, right? I mean, because you can't fault people, uh, board members, institutional administrative leaders for doing this, but sometimes uh, we, we reduce things down to dollars and cents, and it helps to speak in dollars and cents, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you, now, you can be maybe overly reductionistic and try to, you know, insert into black box some amount of dollars and spit out this and you know and and miss some of the big picture aspirational ideals of of higher education but just even at a like you said a broad overview level to just show some of that value proposition return on investment it it speaks volumes yeah maybe in just a couple minutes we have left um have you had any incidences where you've been speaking to faculty and you've had to tailor your message mm. due to skepticism or some other sort of questioning you might you might get to the you know the quality or efficacy of online learning? Yeah, some um, some folks, uh, some faculty members have said, "Well, I should tell you at the outset, I'm not a fan of online learning." You know, mm. well, 
okay. I'm not, yeah. not going to try to convert you. Thanks for not hiding it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather know. Um, and so, you know, we, I guess my approach has been more of like, you know, tell me more about that. Why is that? You know, and, and leaning into those questions. And, and what I have found myself doing, uh, usually because they're very thoughtful people, right, is uh, I find myself wanting to meet with them more. Like, you know, keep me honest, help me, you know, here's what's important to me, here's what's important to you, you know, we can find common ground here. You haven't had a good experience with this. Okay, here's what we're aspiring to do. Um, be a, help me be, you know, be a rudder, help me stay on course here. And, um, and here's, here's the direction I'm thinking of going. What do you think of that? Well, I think that makes sense, okay. You know, so, I think leaning into what was uh, what's that Lincoln uh, phrase the uh, or that uh, Lincoln biography title like circle of enemies or whatever it is <laughs> keep your friends close and your you know not that anybody's an enemy here but just again stepping across the line inviting folks you know from this side or that side inviting folks into your your space or stepping into theirs and and having dialogue I think has been so important. Um, and, and seeking common ground, like, okay, what are we aspiring to? I've got a way of getting to that same goal that maybe is different than you, but let's see if we can travel together. There's this, uh, I found myself reflecting back a lot since I got here on this book that a friend of mine gave me 35 years ago um, by Alan Loy, Alan Loy McGinnis. It's a little kind of a simple book called The Friendship Factor, and there's this um, metaphor in the book of like, if if the other person is going anywhere close to where you're going, hop on their bandwagon and go together. And uh, bandwagon, of course, was chosen uh, very specifically as like, you know, you don't, you don't need them on your bandwagon making everything about you. You can get on their bandwagon. But that whole idea of going together, uh, very reminiscent of that that proverb that we've cited many times yeah. uh, on this podcast, if you wanna go fast, go alone, if you wanna go far, go together. Uh, I think that's been really helpful for me in, we, we want common ground, we wanna go, where are we going toward together and go as far as you can, and then maybe uh, some of those folks will be willing to go with you <laughs> to your ultimate destination, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's great advice, yeah. Cool, It's probably a lot more to be said about this, but I. See that uh, <laughs> the clock is winding down. So shall I try to land the plane? Please do. So how we talk about our work of strategic digital teaching and learning certainly matters. Mm -hmm. I think we both agree with that. And we must anticipate obstacles and misperceptions and frame our messaging in terms of what matters most to our audience. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, our work is ultimately about making life better for our students. And I think that should remain our North Star. Mm-hmm. Well said. Now that's right. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure being with you as always. One of these days we're going to get together and actually pour a common uh, bit of coffee into our respective cups, but I'm glad we can do this virtual uh, coffee connection uh, via the distance technology uh, in the interim. And until next time for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.